What is the most useless talent to have? Whistling. Armpit trumpet. Turning your eyes inside out. Back to the show again are Intern Hadia and Intern Niyati. <laughs> We're going to start. We have to use those titles. You know, like Intern John from uh, <laughs> Z1043 or whatever? Oh. oh, yeah. It's different for you because you're on the oh. other side. <laughs> we have different radio stations. So weird, so weird for the same person. But yeah, I like those. They're cute. Okay. So what did everyone say? The question was, what's the most useful talent to have? Useless. Useless. Use- useless. Sorry. Useless. <laughs> Hadia said cooking. I said, yeah, Hadia I said cooking. I couldn't think of a better one, so I said cooking. I do regret it. Hadia's on, like, her, I think Hadia's on her Gen Z shit where she's like, no, as no, a woman, I, I don't to need cook. to be cooking. No, I love cooking. I like to cook. I don't cooking? know why. Okay, cooking it. is the most useful talent most to have. Most useful. If you, yeah. okay, like, if you can't cook, that's a problem. If you yeah. can cook, you have so many other things that go right for you in your life. Ima- like, Im- think about how many divorces probably happen because <laughs> the guy's just like, uh, or the girl is just taking out their frustration in how bad the food is. Or like, <laughs> or somebody's just yelling at their family because like, the food is never good at the house. Yo, here, here's some boss stuff I heard from your dad. All right, we asked him like, hey, can you cook? He was like, Never in my life I had to cook. Like, there was always somebody that would, like, cook for him. And I was like, we were all like, dang. We are like, that's a boss move. Yeah, but it was, my mom just, like, rolls her eyes at that. Because she's just like, <laughs> you, you think you're a king or something. Because we always had, like, cooks. Yeah. Or, like, you know, she always, also my mom happens to be, like, a really good cook. And yeah. anything, like, you tell her, she'll just make it. So he's uh, living his kingly life over there. <laughs> But, like, I would, as soon as I, um, I already like to cook what I can. I'm not, like, you know, I don't know a bunch of things. But cooking is so fun. Yeah. Especially when you feed it to somebody else and, like, Mm -hmm. you see how they react. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best. If someone else actually likes it. I agree. I think everyone should know how to cook. Hadia, you're wrong. It's a useful talent. I know. (laughs) Take the L. Okay. Niyati, what'd you say? I said whistling. Whistling. Not, mm. I mean, yeah, but like, some it people could be re- useful. Like if you're like, in danger, if you want to like, yeah, and you want to call out. Do you know how to u- how to whistle? No, that might okay. be why. Some people, some people that um, some people are really jealous of those that can whistle because it's such a, mm. it's just such a cool thing to do. The loud whistlers. True. The, oh, the the, the like, one with the two hands. Yeah, those are really good, but also. Like I can't sing on pitch, but I but my whistling I can whistle anything, and I think that that's so weird. Like anything I think of or like a song or whatever, I can whistle it perfectly. You guys aren't impressed. <laughs> I mean, like, I, mean, I need to see it you. to believe it. To be honest, yeah. yeah, give us a little. Let's hear it. Let's hear name it. A, name a song. <laughs> now I'm gonna be like yeah. mad the, trying to do um, it. No, the Tomato Town song. Do that yeah. one. Okay, this isn't that good, I just realized. <laughs> now that I hear it in the mic, I take it back immediately. It's I mean, really it not that It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. bad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But that's probably on par with like how I would be singing it, so it's really not that good. That made me agree with Niyatis. Before I didn't agree with <laughs> 
<laughs> that that goes as the top three most like embarrassing moments on the podcast for me right there. That was unnecessary. I guess I'm really glad and, to have witnessed it though. And yeah, like me too. and like it wasn't true. Lots of beer. It wasn't like true. what I said I was so confident in and then nobody was literally nobody was impressed and then I and then you guys forced me to do it and then it was not good. <laughs> Like, that's the type of shame that a Desi parent puts on their kid when they say, like, oh, show them that dance you were working on. And, like, you don't even know the dance, right? And then yeah. you're standing there, like, yeah. And then the, and then the uncle or the auntie's like, all right, that's like, enough. <laughs> Looks good. Stay in school. This will not be your career. Wow. All right. Anyways. Oh armpit, armpit farting. Extremely useful For when you're what? a kid. But later on in life, absolutely useless. Okay, even as a kid, I was like, what are you flexing? Like, that's... Like, they would also Show do me, it in front of the girls. I can't do it. <laughs> oh, sh- but you definitely <laughs> did it. Why. You definitely did it as a kid. Yeah. I, tr- I tried, but I just... I, like, what... How do you do it? I don't even know how to it's do so it. It's so funny, because if you see a group of kids, they'll just be, like, talking and stuff. And then mid-conversation, they're just, like... <laughs> like, doing their <laughs> armpit thing. And I'm like, what are kids? Like, how is that the way that you interact? That mid-conversation, your yeah. your friend is trying to say something, and you're just like, let me just <laughs> like, spaz out with my arm. I never saw it as a flex. Like, kids would do it as, like, a flex. Like, hey, look, look what I can do. And then they're like, it's a flex. The Everything is a flex. Anything that you, that's, you can do that another kid can't is a flex when you're a kid. Like, I remember kids would do, that, like, that drip sound. Like, the... With their oh, mouth, and then people were like, "Oh wow, my yours god, is bad. Like, yeah, yours do is it!" Good. Yeah, you should have done that. Like, I yeah, but like, it was it was funny because like one kid in my class, he used to do that in the middle of the, basically all these I remember using as like pranks, mm. uh, like the farting thing was like, okay, somebody just farted, and then the drip thing, like I remember. Um, my friend, he did it really well and it was super loud. So mid class, he would do the. And then the teacher would look up and think that like something's leaking and that would go on for like a week sometimes, but it was so good. The one I hated is the one that I said where it was particularly like a bunch of these girls that would do it where they would flip the eyelid inside out. Um, Anybody remember this? Where you can yeah. see yeah, the I underneath of that. it and then they well, would stay yeah. like that. So no. Yeah. I hated no. it. I was like, I don't I was want like, you're to. You're gonna a- pull your eye out. <laughs> I don't want to attempt that one, because what? It's there's gross. so many things that could go wrong. I remember as a kid, I used to always get. Um, I still this still happens to me. Eyelashes in my eyes all the time, where I have to like fold them up just for, just to prevent them from getting in, and it's like the worst. You're like you're sitting there like blinking and trying to get it out for so long, and that that thing, the eyelid thing, no, thank you. I could never touch my like eyeball. Mm-hmm. Like you know how people like put in contacts and stuff. I can't even put like eye droplets. Like that's so hard for me. Really? So, uh, it's yeah. so hard. I always close oh. my eye or something. <laughs> so when people are like touching their eyes, they're like, "Hey, look, I can touch my eye." Like yeah. I just don't understand. You have it. to get over that yeah. hump because like I I can't do contacts are really hard for me. I made that wolf video the one time, and my sister had to put them in, and I was freaking out. And it was, like, so difficult to, to try to do. And then once they were in, it was, like, you don't even feel that they're there. But eye drops I've gotten, like, I can't have anybody else put in eye drops, but I can do it myself. You know, like, yeah. you ever get your uh, eyes checked at the, um, when you go to, like, get your vision, whatever, 
mm-hmm. and then they put yeah. like the puff of air and then they yeah. put all these chemicals and then they dilate your eyes and it's just like they massacre your eyeballs. And <laughs> what eye doctor are you going to? What eye doctor are you going to? <laughs> Wait, nobody else ever had this? I well, mean, it happened. Chemicals. They're not dilating my... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, they dilate my pupils. For what? Some people go just to get their pupils dilated. That yeah, but true. they don't they do, do that. Do. That's all, like, routine stuff. That's just, like, special. If they need You go into, like, it. the Saw movies or something? I don't like, like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And then, wait, and then they don't put the needles in your eyes? I was concerned for a second. Some people get their eyeballs tattooed. Think about that. The people that have like completely black eyeballs, like they got. Yeah. I mean, live your life, but could not be me. Live your life. Anyways, guys, thank you for tuning into an episode of Strange Flavors. My name is Shimmer. I'm Faraz, and Amber is not with us today because she is at yet another wedding. Amber has so many friends that yeah. you probably have a friend that knows Amber. So. Rule of thumb, don't have friends as much as Great. Amber. <laughs> Shamir is only saying that because he doesn't have any. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> uh, this is the strangest and greatest podcast in the game, however. And this is also brought to you by Elif Theater. You can email us or send us your music at strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, you can share it everywhere. Uh, we're listenable anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're also visually there, too, on YouTube. Yes. Comment, inverted. like, and subscribe. Inverted. We just found inverted. out. Yeah. Apparently, we don't see the image that everyone else sees. We see an inverted version. Yeah. yeah it's not and, and we're used to seeing ourselves. No, no. We see ourselves inverted. Oh, yeah. We never see our true selves. Like, we always see ourselves yeah. inverted in the mirror. Yeah. But we don't know how yeah, we appear to other people. It's our mirrored self. So, we see our mirrored self, but everyone else sees our inverted self. Oh, that's scary. But yes. you can see our true selves on social media at Strange Flavors, uh, <laughs> all over social media. If you'd like to support this podcast, such at, uh, just like our wonderful donors, Bobber's, ba- Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Erha's Icy's, Freeha's Falafels, and Usum's Apples, there's a link down below where you can support this podcast. So shout out to them. Um, we also have an awesome YouTube channel that goes by the name of Ronald Ponal. We have a Patreon with exclusive content. We have an awesome Discord. And someone made a pretty rude comment that I'm going to read right now. Uh, <laughs> so after our last podcast, we had a guest named Rahma, who's awesome. And someone commented in the Discord, they said, never listen to the podcast in my life. Weird flex, okay. But they said, but just saw y'all got Rahma on there and immediately started listening. She's so awesome. Shout yeah, out. That's like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Like you guys suck so hard <laughs> that I never even gave you a shot. Then you had my favorite guest on, and she was great. Now I'm going to go back to uh, not listening to you guys, because you guys still suck. <laughs> so you can also make these uh, mean comments in the Discord, or make some nice ones, who knows? Or suggest guests. Imagine someone suggested Rahma, and we got him just because of the Discord. So you can do that too. Um, and we also have new merch that just dropped, and Frost would take that away. Yeah, and I also wanted to say Strange Flavors Town. Just for the time <laughs> reference. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yes. So we need to make a that song of that. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I don't feel I don't feel comfortable sharing the next section because of our guest today, but I'm gonna share it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see why. But listen, guys, we have amazing new merch out. Um, it's you know not very sustainable, but that is uh, how we make uh, some profit for our whole brand. So uh, it looks nice, and buy it. And wear it forever. That's the message I'm going to say right now. 
buy our merch. Don't buy anybody else's merch. Buy our merch. Wear it for a long time. Pass it down to generations. One day you can tell them that there was this podcast called Strange Flavors. And there was an amazing cultural comedy channel called Ronal Pono. And that this one- is... That one person never listened to in their life until Rahman. <laughs> until Rahman. And I have an article of clothing from their exclusive drop that is never going to appear again. So if you want to be a part of history, go to strangeflavors.store for the drippiest drip you've ever dripped. And then also we've got our Ronopono original series out for all the fans who have been asking for the logo and for just... Uh, merch that says Ronopono on it. Uh, we're getting really hyped up soon to drop our album. Highly anticipated by nobody but ourselves and maybe a few other people. But if you're an OG fan and if you want to invest in us early, go get the merch. Rock it and drip it. All right. Yes. Thank you for listening to us advertise ourselves because it's important. <laughs> but if you want to advertise what you do or know somebody who would like to advertise themselves. We are taking sponsors for the podcast. So email strangeflavorspodcast at gmo.com and we will happily advertise what they are advertising unless we don't agree with it. If it's like, oh, uh, we're selling nukes and then we have to read that. <laughs> well, I probably mean, if not going to. If it's a good price. You never know. I mean, what's a good price to advertise a nuke? <laughs> I'm not saying. <laughs> You know what? You know what? Maybe maybe the price to buy another uh, country. So then as soon as you've sponsored the podcast, you move to the country, you can afford it, and you build a new civilization. And then your country doesn't get nuked. But I think a nuke wipes out the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. Whole I don't know. Area. <laughs> I, I don't know. Pretty, pretty we don't... Strange Flavors yeah. does not support nukes well, <laughs> for the thanks for the clarification <laughs> just to clarify <laughs> yo so i had um a little sticky situation happen recently and i wanted to know if you, this has ever happened to you guys being a guest at someone's house can be tough sometimes mm-hmm. the reason being we were talking about the cooking thing earlier right that's that's one aspect of it actually when you don't like somebody's food, that's, and you have to, your guests, you have to like eat it, right? That's a concern, right? Um, but sometimes you're in like situations where you're just like, I don't know, like you just have to kind of suck it up and, and go with it, right? Um, so two things. One, one time I was at somebody's house and they had like samosas ready for us, right? And there was like this long hair that came out of one of the samosas. And that to me is just like a, I'm good on food for the rest of the day. Like I don't need to eat anything else because I've now, this the, the feeling of that is gross, right? But then they're like, do you like it? Have more. And I'm like, is there a hair in the other things? And like... I should have just listened to my gut and there ended up being hair in the brownies later on. Cause I was like, Oh, brownies Aww. safe. Right. There was a hair in the brownies. And I literally wanted to just like, honestly, just like shoot myself. Like <laughs> what is going on? I've, I've had two hairs. Are they from the same person? 
why is there here in my food? Recently, there was also um, a situation where I asked for, you know, some water and they gave me a water bottle and a water bottle is safe, right? Because sometimes the person's <laughs> cups are like dirty and you're like, oh, I got to drink water out of this, but screw it. They gave me the water bottle and it was like refilled. I would have been able to see that, but it was like, it was a water bottle, but like, I, I was like, you know, taking the cap off, but I was like, you know, when you know that it's, it's already like too easy yeah. to take off. It's yeah. Like it does, easy, there's no yeah. click. It doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. snap off. And then I felt it. And then it was like the mold of the water bottle was like, clearly like somebody had like pressed it, you know, like you drink a water bottle. It's like all yeah. whatever. Yeah. But then I was like, Oh, like somebody drank out of this and then I guess it's not a huge deal. Also we're I mean, also again, like this is not a good look for the sustainability episode, but <laughs> but it just I don't know. It just made me I guess let's go back to the hair example. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like um grossed out by like something that like you're at a at a guest place or like it's just uncomfortable and like what do you do in that situation? Do you always suck it up or would you say something like, you know what? I'm good on this. You or do you like sneak off and throw it in the trash or something? Okay, I guess I have like a, a similar kind of story. So, um, I had a friend from university. She lived up the street from me, and like, I only knew her for like a couple days. But I went over to her house after like a couple days, and she was like, "Oh, you know, let me cook for you, right?" <laughs> she was. She had fish in her house, and so she like made fish and rice. But she put the entire package of shan masala on the on the fish it was so unbelievably spicy like i couldn't eat it at all but i had to like sit there i didn't know her that well and i didn't want to like wait but she was was eating it too right she she was like oh you know what (laughs) she like had a little bit but she like hadn't had it yet like she gave it to me while she was cooking the other one right and so i was like okay and so i like started eating it and I was like, man, what do I do? But I didn't want to be rude either. Like, I didn't want to tell her her food was bad. And I don't think, like, she wasn't, like, she was like, oh, it's a little spicy. And I was like, mm-hmm, <laughs> just, a, just a bit. Okay, this fine. situation, this is your friend. You should tell them. Bro, You're actually doing I didn't a disservice. Well she barely knew her, though. Oh, you didn't know her that well. No, I didn't know her that well at the time. Mm. Like, this is, like, my second time, like, hanging out with her. So I didn't want to, like, offend her. So I was just like, um, you know what? I ended up doing something. I'm not very proud of this, but I was like, you know what? I just remembered. I have to go home. Mid-meal? Like, I was like, I ate ate it, and I was like, "Mm, this is, like, really, really good. And then I, like, was like, oh, you know what? My mom, my mom's, like, calling me. I I have to go home now. (laughs) I would have known if I was your friend, like, yo, if the food's bad, like, just tell me. No, after I feel a while, like, she was like, she was like, yo, listen, you don't have to eat it. It's okay. And I was like, okay. She, she <laughs> <Thanks. knew>. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> see, see, I think like a one-on-one situation is a little bit better because mm-hmm. it's easier to tell them like, I guess it also depends on how you carry yourself. Yeah. But like, if I was in a one-on-one situation, if I'm meeting someone for the first time, I'd probably be like, yo, uh, this is really spicy. Are you good with this? And then I'd like <laughs> let them try it, and then they would probably be like, uh, "Oh yeah, like it is kind of spicy. You can do this to like do whatever." Yeah. But that's like if you're, because some people even when they're eating your food or if they, we go out somewhere, they ask for like extra salt or they ask for something to like change something up. 
but yeah. I guess it all it all depends. When I'm in like that position, like I want critique, and no one gives me that critique. Like they're like, oh, it's good. Like they in, they want to encourage me to keep cooking or whatever, and I'm like, give me that critique. Say it's like, oh, it's too much salt, too much this or whatever, and I think like from that pers- uh, perspective, I would appreciate if someone was like, yo, this is trash or this is like bad. What do you make? And you know, like eggs, morning eggs, pasta, mm-hmm. chicken, stuff like that. Um, I made like sauce uh, for chicken and stuff like that that I've like found online. So it's like stuff okay. like that uh, where I'm like, oh, should I make this for next time? Like, is this good? Do you guys like it? Uh, if Have you ever lied to me about something that I made? I don't think so. That's a yes. You, you waited way Why? too long. You looked in every direction. <laughs> you, you know every time I've been there. And like when it's just me and you and especially Dower. Like, I would, we would clown each other for whatever something messed up we did. But I, you made some good eggs recently, so. And I think. You hear that, people? (laughs) You hear that, wife? You hear my, you hear that, my wife out there? (laughs) He just wanted you to say that. That's that's Uh, it. He just wanted it. No, I would want to know too. But also, I think I would know. Like, if I taste it and then uh, something's off, then I would probably know too. Because I think for. Unless, like, you just don't have, a, like, a decent um, taste palette, then for the most part, you get it. Which I guess some people don't, or some people just, like, really whack things. Or some people like, are too proud. Like guava yeah. juice and a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that for anybody but myself, because I know that people aren't, you know... Uh, as as advanced as as me we're not there yet mentally <laughs> we're not prepared we're not prepared Nithi, have you yeah. ever had a situation like that or do you know I what you would do i had a similar it? i had a similar situation so i don't eat um fish or seafood so i went to these like like my family went to this family's house and they were just like talking really good about like the person like the auntie's cooking and they were like her cooking so good like it's amazing it's the best thing ever and they maybe or maybe they didn't i wouldn't know because like the first thing she puts in my plate because she was like i will put it in your plate for you was like all of this fish and all of this stuff without telling me that and like without asking me if i ate it or not or like if i liked fish or not and I was like sitting over here with this thing and I'm like, I'm a big people pleaser. So I can't like be like, I can't eat this. That's or, like, a, that's like a that. 100% That's a me issue. problem. That's a me problem. <laughs> I understand. But she was like, oh, you don't, I told her, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't like seafood. Like, let me just like give this to my mom or something. And she's like, no, 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 I'm an amazing cook. Like, you should try this. It will change your whole entire perspective on seafood, on life. I will change your life. It's really good for you too. And I was like, no, 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 thank you. I really don't want to eat this. Like, let me just give this to my mom. I'm good. I will eat something else. Like, I I believe you I just don't want to she's like no 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 you have to eat this right now and she l- made me eat it I literally <laughs> ate it you and ate I, it like, <laughs> I ate it Nithi. I like, took a thing and my mom walked in like right at the right time and I'm like oh please please help me <laughs> Oh my God. And she like took the thing from me and I had to like go wash my mouth out because I hate fish like I hate seafood I was, imagine like, I imagine really got if, like, bullied into I got bullied by an auntie today. 
Imagine if she was allergic to something and oh. she's in the same situation. She's like, she's allergic to nuts. And then Samanti's like, you have to try this. She would Five literally guys. go to the to. hospital. And then be, I'd like, be like, I'm sorry. I can't say no. <laughs> no she's like stabbing herself with no. the EpiPen. <laughs> she's like, let me. Ah. <laughs> but I did say no. But she basically gaslit me into like eating that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, please, I'm begging you. I do not want to eat this. And she was like, no, you gotta, you got to eat it. As a, that was my experience. As a host, people, just just try to look out for when other people are, um, you know, having a little hesitation, I'll say. And as a guest, either... Just don't do what Niyati did, basically. Do anything I... else but what Niyati did. I tried. Okay, I saw this recently. Um, I don't know if anybody else caught this, but like on the CDC website, right? They're uh, putting out uh, how to prepare for a zombie apocalypse. This is on the CDC website. And people have been sharing this around. So... I know that we've had other diseases and whatever else that, you know, they prepare us for. But now they're straight up just like, here's how to prepare if zombies take over. So I saw I went on the site and I was like, is this real? Like, are we going to have a zombie apocalypse? Um, but basically they're using it to try to get people to uh, follow directions for any sort of pandemic, which is really kind of cool. Um, but also... I've seen certain uh, people sharing it and uh, certain orgs that have been passing this along, like get prepared for a real zombie apocalypse, which then it, you know, passes along misinformation. But basically I want to ask you guys like um, how you guys would handle if this, if a real zombie apocalypse happened, we used to glorify this happening when we were little, but now it doesn't seem super far off i don't know if shamir you remember this but like as uh as kids we would always be like yo like if this happened like oh dude this and this but we got niathi and hadia here and i want to know kind of like your perspectives too of like if this really happened if you're seeing like zombies literally breaking out what's your reaction they'll do you like tiktok reactions right you're gonna, <laughs> gonna hate my answer but like i'd give up I'd be like, no. okay. <laughs> what do you? I don't want to live through that. I don't want to live through that. You what would do you let mean? them like take you, or you for? would? Well, basically, you would become a zombie then. Oh, they wouldn't just like kill a hijabi me? zombie. Yo, I like the sound of that. <laughs> Sounds like a no, rock band. But wait, wait, they would turn me into a zombie, or they would just kill me? Because if they would just kill me. No, I think the point of the zombie thing is like once they get you, then you're one of them. So, oh man, um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I have to rethink it. No, I think I'd still give up. I don't really want to live through it, so they can turn me into a zombie. God, you're so okay. Wait, let me hear for Niyati first. <laughs> it depends if I'm like in a vicinity with like the people, like my friends, my family, and we have like a lot of food, and like we can like we plan that out and we can get there in time, and everyone's good. like that's fine. Like I would live there forever. But if I was just sleeping one day and they just show up, I wouldn't like run or like 
put an effort to get away, be like, this is my life, and we have come to this point, and the universe <laughs> wanted this for me, so I will become a zombie. It'll be exciting. You guys are, you guys are so hopeless. Have you never seen uh, Zombieland or I <laughs> Am Legend? Here's yeah. the thing. Why no. would I want to live through that? Why would I want that stress? Have you seen either of those movies? Unless I day. have it prepared. No. You've never yeah. seen Zombieland or I Am Legend? No. I Am oh. Legend, oh. I think I've seen, but I haven't seen Zombieland. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, I'm gonna become to... a zombie from just your guys' comments. <laughs> oh my on god! That. And you're so fine. dramatic. What would be your answer? What would you do? Okay, well, if you watch those movies, well, Shamir, like maybe you'll you'll uh, give us some hope here. But what, what would you do? On my answer, okay. I don't know if I've explained about my dad on this podcast. Right. Yeah. Okay. Go my, ahead. Go ahead. Explain. Tur- turns out, or probably, if the zombie apocalypse happened tomorrow. I probably have a bunker in my basement already. I probably have <laughs> vehicles that turn in, like that are prepared for the zombie apocalypse. Because your dad does pandemic like preparation at all times. He's right? prepared for everything. We have a fire extinguisher every four feet. We have <laughs> we have floodlights in every room. We have I have four batteries that are connected to all my electronics. So when the power goes out, um, I still have power based on batteries. Um, my the pumping on my like on my plumbing and all over the house has a backup generator basically a bunch of stuff my dad's like prepared for all this stuff so so go to shamir's house yeah come to my house i probably have all this stuff already i just don't know it yet my dad will probably press a button and all this zombie equipment comes out (laughs) like like in i am legend when all the windows are like metal they shut down the lights yeah that's probably how my house is right now and i just don't even but honestly it would be I would like to see how my dad would react to that because he'd be like, oh, we need to get this. We need to get this. He'd be like, it's my time. <laughs> it's my time. <laughs> Shows up in like an it's Iron Man suit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for this. But yeah, I think uh, it would be I've been waiting for this one. You know what? I think, um, you know how at the beginning of Corona, it was kind of fun. Like, yeah. obviously, it's a really like tragic thing that's going on in the world. But there was, you uh, always kind of like allude to this uh, when you're like, you know, I I hope we get that time again where it's like everyone was locked down. You were forced to stay home and it was kind of like cozy. Right. Uh, And everyone was kind of doing the same thing. So, I mean, just from watching like certain zombie movies, I think that at the beginning it might be kind of fun where it's like, all right, you're going to get like, you know, a nice truck. You're going to get your weapons ready and you're just going to go on a slashing spree and try to like basically survive and and anything is up for grabs when it comes to like there's no business anymore like the grocery store is a place where you can just go into take what you need uh you know you can hide out in the white house like this is the type of stuff we would see in the movies. I'm sure it wouldn't be like that. I, I think uh, in that scenario, like other people would be scarier than the zombies. Mm-hmm. You know oh. what I mean? Like you're like because everyone would be like fending for the themselves. Chaos. Yeah, like they're probably defending for themselves, and they'd probably be like, get like even the pandemic when the toilet paper people were fighting for like about to kill each other for toilet yeah. paper. Yeah. So. No, it definitely. You're right. It would definitely wouldn't be like that, especially in this country. Yeah. But, like, if you had a right squad, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that would kind of be fun, bro. Yeah. But also, I don't know how it would feel because it's, like, 
if everybody's turning into a zombie, like if I see hijabi zombie Hadia coming up, then I'm like, do I kill her or like do we wait for the vaccine to cure her? No, put her in a TikTok and then like do the TikTok like, dance. Ooh, TikTok dance. Yeah. Wait, do you think if I the think Hadia po- would be down? <laughs> do you think zo- if a zombie apocalypse would happen, like people would tweet about it and just like make jokes and memes? Or like, yeah, 100%. oh, for sure. 100%. <laughs> like, Maybe they would stick be, around for the memes. They Maybe would be clowning would be. and trolling the zombies. If, if oh. they were really like, if they were really like slow and all yeah. of that, like we see in the movies. Just imagine like, you know, like Tommy Loren or somebody like that turns into a zombie. And they're like, yo, look, you finally turned to a zombie. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yo, Tommy Loren's a zombie, yo. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be really funny. I would just uh, I would just follow whatever Bernie Sanders says. Okay, I think he I think he's the true leader. Icon. <laughs> and we, and I like think. Joe Biden, I think he might already be a zombie, so I don't have to listen to anything he says. <laughs> Yo, y'all see? You know who definitely his... is a zombie? Who? Oh, sorry the the, the prince. That's what I was about to bring up. That valet, yeah, the, the king. Prince Harry? No, the king is he's not. I don't think he's the king. Is yeah, he the no, king? He, no, he's, he's not the king. The king. He's, he's, he's not a the prince. king. He's a Prince. Prince Charles. Prince Charles. Yeah. Prince Charles. Yo, he's he like will, he's, he's gonna like, be the one to start the 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 zombie apocalypse, <laughs> and he's gonna be the one to end it. That's exactly what he's, I was thinking. He's of. only That's he's only seventy two, but he looks way. He no. looks like he could be dead. No, no, wait, 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 wait. He looks sorry, like sorry. Ninety nine. He's ninety nine. Okay, okay. He's nine. Prince. Okay, that's more like it. <laughs> no, no. Wait. So Prince Prince Philip is the one that's ninety nine. Prince oh, Charles sorry. is seventy two. Okay. Yeah, Which the one you guys one are talking looks... about is Prince Philip. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, my bad. Sorry, Prince Charles. Sorry. Sorry, Sorry Prince Charles. He's the one. He's the one that looks like Sorry. you know his time might have passed. The one that you guys are referring to. He, <laughs> yes, uh, I've heard I rumors think... that like that uh, some of these uh, guys will take the blood of like young people to live longer. <laughs> have you ever heard I that? I believe it. I believe it. I've Yo, heard look that. Look at him. Yo. Does he not look like he sacrifices children? Uh, <laughs> there's I'm, okay this is kind of scary but there's actually a company a startup that takes blood of young people and injects them into older people no way really I, it's already I actually, happening yeah how do i, I, read how do I this, invest <laughs> i read this study for one of my bio cl- or like my friend told me about it recently and she said there's like this experiment where if you put like a young rat's blood into an older rat the older rat starts acting young again like she was just telling me about this so she was like the doctor was like we just got to take young people's blood and put it in older people and it's like basically vampirism and you would live forever apparently yeah so that was like his whole research thing i'm like that's concerning (laughs) why can't you just accept your time has come yeah no why would you want to live for longer we even talked one time why we talked one time about um, on the podcast about um, uh, like head transplants, which were or like a body transplant or something and like, you know, all the ethics and stuff behind that. But basically, uh, you know, there was a lot of I watched this movie recently where somebody was able to save consciousness and download it. And then and like, I think I Elon talks about this sometimes, but it's such a all of this is so interesting and we don't know if like people already have it or whatever else is going on but in that case i'm with you hadi i'm just like yo let me die bro i don't literally i I don't know about all that i don't like it's too much man like bro 
what nothing is worth that to be honest mm-hmm. like there's nothing that i'm like i have to live to for like 110 years that would be a pain i don't want to live that long well i mean i think that like something uh like faith helps you kind of come to terms with uh you know an ending um or whatever else but when you um you know don't really have purpose i guess or see anything afterwards or are are fearful of what's um you know to come then it becomes much more practical to think of things like this and also people are definitely going to be buying into it and it's going to be an industry and absolutely it's just a matter of time but yeah i i can't i can't wait to see (laughs) what happens talk Um, about sustainability (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) How perfect, how perfect, yeah. On that that note, uh, you know, Shamir basically said it, but we'll introduce our guest um, who is really amazing and and, uh, educational about this topic. But basically our stranger this week uh, is a creative artist and sustainability advocate who uses fashion, art, and heritage to bring awareness about sustainability. She has a desire to apply it to her own brand very soon. And like I said, you know, she's really great, very patient with us, and she answers a lot of awesome questions. I think you guys are really going to like this one. So please welcome our stranger, Niha Eleti. Discomfort in the disconnect, that dialect of intellect, and sister genius freedom from remedial asylums. Swiftly glides gently, remembering, surrendering to higher thoughts, the timeless talk, the endless walk, the eyeless, hoping not to die. Welcome, Niha. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> are you telling the truth? Yes. <laughs> Wait, why do you think she's lying? It was just, it sounded a little bit sarcastic. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> she no. Was like, <laughs> she was like, great. Before the to... podcast, she said she's more annoying than us. So we'll in have what, to see. Yeah, in what way, though? Uh, I don't know. You, you'll <laughs> see. <laughs> is, it like, is it like one of those annoying because you're so smart or annoying that like, well, I guess... I guess we're annoying because we just are dumb. So I, yeah, it's so definitely that's the, only the, it's the second option for sure. No, no way. <laughs> Can't be. I, we, we saw the bio. We were like, okay, yeah, this is she's going to be um, educating us <laughs> quite a lot. Oh, no, um, I hope you don't hold me to that. But we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You're, um, you're based out of Texas, right? Um, yes, currently based out of Dallas, Texas. Okay, we got to talk about this uh, snowstorm that you guys recently had. This was something uh, unexpected for you, right? Yes, very unexpected. Uh, Texas doesn't really get much snow, as Mm -hmm. a lot of people probably know. Um, I mean, we do get like a flurry here and there like once a year, but never like four to six inches of snow, which is a lot in a long time. I'm sure at first it was like a little exciting, but then later on, did you face all like the power outage and all the other kind of stuff that was going on, the water issues? Yeah. So at first, yeah, it was really exciting because, you know, it doesn't really snow often here, but then you got to remind yourself that this isn't normal and that, you know, global warming is obviously causing this. So I guess my excitement died down pretty quickly. Um, But then, yeah, for me personally, I live very close to the airport. So I was on their power grid and I was really lucky to not have had any power outages. Um, But I do have a lot of friends where they would have to sit in their car 
for hours because they didn't have power and sort of Jeez. work out of their car. Um, and other friends whose ceilings literally fell through <laughs> oh, due geez. to the um, water. Um, so yeah, I luckily like, didn't face too many problems, just a few water problems. Like nothing was, was ready for this. Like tech, I heard like Texas was just, the infrastructure was not ready for this at all. Yeah, no, the infrastructure wasn't ready, but I think more than that, it was the uh, energy providers just not planning properly. Uh, they didn't plan for the demand of um, non-renewable resources being used and during the winter time. But surprisingly, the renewable energy was um, actually uh, forecasting or actually uh, producing more energy than forecasted. So, I mean, it was clearly just bad planning on their end. Okay, here's my first dumb question. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, how is this global warming? Like, isn't global warming when the ice caps are melting and like everything should be getting? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Or is it is it climate change? Like, is that the right? Or yes, I word? guess climate change is something that. Um, well, climate change is actually very normal, even before we used to, or even before industrialization, the climate was changing um, for a long time, as you know, like the ice age and like. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get too into everything, but climate change is something that's normal. But with global warming, clearly, you know, the Earth's temperature is rising overall. And what's sort of causing um, these snowstorms in the southern region of the U.S. is mainly the polar vortex. And so right now, as the world is heating up, um, the ice caps in the North Pole are melting. And in that region, we have the polar the polar jet stream, which is an air current. I know this is getting a little science <laughs> No, I'm just looking at Shamir's face to see if he's if he's getting it or if, and I should just like stand here and like nod my head and be like, I'll, yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. On the, we're on the same page. Yeah, I'll try my best to explain it. But there's a bunch of air jet streams that are sort of above the earth, like um, you know, many miles above the earth and the polar jet stream is one of them. And so as the temperature is sort of, um, rising overall, uh, it creates a low pressure. The pressure is sort of, um, like across the earth is sort of distributed in a way where, uh, the Arctic has very low pressure air, but now, um, because of the earth just warming up, uh, overall, it's sort of, um, pushing that to the south, so southern regions like in the the south of the U.S. Um, are now feeling that cold air, and that's sort of why um, we're getting snow. That, that wasn't the best sense. explanation. But no, no, that actually it, <laughs> it actually helps uh, make sense because in my head it was just like global warming. I thought everyone's everything's supposed to be melting and we're going to be in like you know getting <laughs> flooded with water because the sea levels yeah. are going to rise or whatever. And I don't know what I thought it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh all this all this is important because of you know your kind of background and passion uh which mm -hmm. we'll talk about in a minute um but overall how how are you and your family doing right now i see that you have power you got great wi-fi which is always a plus for our guests but yes. how's everything else is, is the snow all gone now or what yeah no it's been a few weeks um i okay. think the snow melted uh what's interesting is that a few days after uh it was 70 degrees so all the snow is gone. Um, yeah. It's been gone for a few weeks now. So See, in Maryland, 
In Maryland, we'll get like, you know, like negative weather. And then the next day it'll be like yeah. 70. And then yeah. the next day it'll be like a hurricane. So, <laughs> yeah. we don't, so we don't know. We don't understand the concept of climate change here because the climate is always just like changing, shooting us in the <laughs> face every day, basically. And you better be ready for anything. Yeah, so. no, I had the similar experience when I was in North Carolina as well. So, okay. Yeah. Hurricanes guess, all the time. Yeah. Northeast, Northeast is sometimes like that. Uh, year round but um yeah so Niha you're uh a creative artist and sustainability activist first of Mm -hmm. all what does that mean like what's your mission sustainability activist yeah well I mean I I would rather say sustainability advocate I don't know if (laughs) if I were activist or advocate but yeah I would say advocate mainly because I'm just trying to push the message that a lot of activists on the ground are working hard to push and so um, for me I do that through the mediums of art fashion and cultural heritage so that's sort of my mission overall and um, my other mission as a designer uh, is to work and sorry work with different communities in India so I'm currently actually starting a sustainable fashion brand um soon um but yeah those are my two primary goals right now i feel really bad right now because my sweater right now is from forever 21 which is a (laughs) very fast fashion very bad for the environment probably um but i've worn this for like three years four years oh what a great human being (laughs) so yeah like i i guess i don't want to get straight into it but um is fast fashion bad if the fast fashion you're buying you wear for like years and years on end so i mean this is the big like one of the big questions right um i think overall we need to interrogate the systems rather than the individuals i mean individuals um can only do so much and when they don't have access to things it's a lot harder so you know a lot of luxury items are just not accessible in terms of price point Um, and it's the people in the positions of power that are exploiting garment workers that are sort of creating, um, environmental destruction. And so I think really, um, pointing at the people at the top is really important, but obviously as an individual, it is important to make, um, smart choices as much as you can and as much as you're able to. So, I mean, yes, that is fast fashion, but you've been wearing it for four years, so I think there's, you know, a good and bad to both sides. <laughs> the first time I heard this term fast fashion was when I watched this uh, episode of Patriot Act with Hasan Minhaj. And he was talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, Zara and uh, Fashion Nova and these other brands that kind of just like whatever's going on in the industry, they quickly replicate it, get it made, put it out there. And a lot of it goes to waste. Um, so when first of all, like, can you kind of uh dive deeper into that of like what your understanding of uh fast fashion is and why it might be like problematic for those that don't understand the term or haven't seen that episode that i might be referring to Mm -hmm. yeah so um fast fashion is essentially um just a insane amount of clothing that's being produced by a lot of um widely known retailers for example h&m's are the two big ones but we kind of don't realize that 
it goes beyond a lot of that. There's like urban outfitters, anthropology, all these other places that you might not necessarily associate with being fast fashion are. Um, most brands in general are fast fashion, but essentially what fast fashion is, is it's predicated on speed and just creating a lot of clothes and promoting overconsumption to consumers. So it basically thrives on trends, um, putting out new trends every single week, making people really want to buy these items. But the main problem with it is obviously the overproduction. Our planet cannot handle that whatsoever. Um, as well as the toxic chemicals they use in creating these clothes, the way that they treat garment workers. So um, I think something that has sort of uh, brought to light a lot of the problems is the Rana Plaza factory collapse back in 2013. This is where a factory in Bangladesh was um predicted to collapse because I think the structure wasn't, um, there wasn't any structural integrity in that building. And there were a lot, like thousands of garment workers working there, but a lot of pressure from these big brands like H&M and Zara were um, sort of pressurizing those people to stay and continue to work, even though they knew it wasn't structurally sound and the building collapsed. And so I think that's mainly what started the shift in conversation um, and uh, got people to start thinking about fast fashion. And um, I mean, a few other quick points, like a brief introduction to fast fashion is also the way that they treat garment workers. So uh, so it's like complex. Paid. There's, there's many it's, sort it's, of there's overlapping There's so many issues. facets, you know, they aren't paid fairly. Um, they're paid uh, per piece, so they're not get paid per hour. They're just paid by how many pieces they complete. And so um, there's just a lot of uh, problems. Is this Especially- across the board? Is it like every- you're saying, you know, they're not paid this much or whatever. Like, are they all using the same system, the same country, same factories to make their garments? Or are you saying like the, you know, general, um, uh, I guess the, the main sort of names? Yeah, no. So it's a lot of brands, to be quite honest. It's it's many brands that you hear and see of. Um, and I think it's mainly because the industry is unregulated, the fashion industry. There's no, you know, minimum wage. There's no, uh, I mean, which is obviously by country, but also there's no um, policies and structures in place um, to sort of regulate the industry. And a lot of the countries, as you mentioned, are in the area that people call the global south. So that would be countries um, like India, other countries in South Asia, countries in Africa, um, in East Asia. So that's what um, those are the places that were colonial. I mean, a lot of colonialism and imperialism happened in those places. And, you know, people came there for a lot of the... um, textiles, craft, you know, other things. But I think we're seeing that colonialism still prevail today, but in a different way. How do we find like a company or like, how do we know what company, you know, companies that are um, treating their workers correctly or, you know, like, I feel like it's very hard. Like, I feel like most companies that we deal with all the time that we're wearing probably um, have these issues. 
not so even how- that, but just like anything that you eat, anything yeah. that you uh, mm-hmm. participate in, any app that you're on, you find out that like, oh, this country is, you know, bombing a bunch of people here or like some yeah. random thing. I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't eat, use like, my iPhone. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, yeah, I can't eat my favorite food anymore. I can't wear my favorite brands anymore. Like, yeah. Right. So, so how do you, what's your way of navigating through that or having to compromise in certain situations if you do? Yeah, I mean, it is really hard to navigate, especially when, you know, we're individuals, you know, we're not causing all this destruction. It's mainly the people in in power and it's it's hard. Um for me, what I do is I just I mainly focus on what I genuinely care about, what I know I can sustain with the lifestyle that I'm living. So, um for me, I know that I um mainly when it comes to fast fashion i just like to reuse what i have i like to repair my clothes so that i don't have to buy as much if i do i thrift um which is an accessible version of you know buying buying clothes and Um, it's a trend and it it, (laughs) now it's a trend now everyone wants to thrift all of a sudden but um yeah so i think doing things like that um can really help just doing stuff that you know that you can within your own power. Because, you know, you. another thing that's really important in just the world of sustainability is making sure that you take care of yourself. Self-care is incredibly important. So if you're trying to do everything that there is, it, you'll drive yourself insane. So you just need to do what you can um, and obviously make an effort um, as well. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, but... Um... Like a lot of YouTubers or just, I guess, content creators will have mm-hmm. their own line of merch and it's like you can drop ship and, you know, quickly get it made and all of that. Do you know about that industry at all? Um, I don't know too much. I haven't heard the best things about the drop shipping industry. I'll say that. Um, but I mean, I personally am not a fan of merch <laughs> uh, just because... I just, I feel like it promotes unnecessary consumption, but I mean, it definitely depends, right? On, <laughs> you on, know, that's like, us. We got new merch out. <laughs> new Strange no, see, Flavors it, merch out now. It depends. I feel like, I mean, if, if people are dropping merch just to drop merch for like no reason, I just don't see the point. But I mean, definitely I, I would love to, you know, buy, purchase merch from like organizations or like people that like are doing great things. But if it's just like unnecessary, then, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, this is why I wanted to have the conversation with you, because like I, you know, you can be as honest you want with us. But basically, as content creators, I think a lot of us, you know, um, this is the lane that is profitable to us where it's like you know we you can't get monetized anywhere um it's if you are it's very little money i don't want to make an only fans uh so like let me drop this merch and then it's like oh you know if it's uh adding to the already like problematic industry of fast fashion and clothing uh in general then it's just like what other outlets are there and i know you said earlier that you're like you know it's not always the individual's fault but um even if like for example there there are options when we go to create merch right where mm-hmm. there's like eco-friendly options right mm-hmm. but then it drives the price up 
so much. And then people are like, I'm not about to pay like, you know, $30 for a t-shirt or $100 for a sweatshirt. And it's like, what do you do at that point? Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely a great question. I think it also comes down to how we as consumers have um, sort of understood the value of clothing. So when you look at these t-shirts, um, when you when you go to like fast fashion websites, you see that they're like $5 or $10. And you just really have to ask yourself, like, how is a t-shirt worth the same as like a meal that I'm buying today? Mm. Like, how does that even make sense that it's worth that much? Um, the fact that this overproduction and exploitation has driven prices to be this low um, is just insane. And so I think for a lot of people when it comes to understanding the value of clothing, you just have to, um, I guess, just understand that these people have put a lot of work into these clothes. These are, um, these materials are, you know, very well thought out and made and buying less is something that helps you buy well. So if you're not over consuming and buying like 50 t-shirts, then and you just choose to buy like a smaller number of clothing, but you're buying well and you're buying pieces that you're going to wear again and again, then, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not as um, bad for the environment or even bad on your wallet. Yeah. Yo, shout out to Ross and TJ Maxx. <laughs> Would you agree? Uh not not they're, not on my end but wait wait wait, wait. I, because they're they're reselling clothes that would have otherwise gotten thrown out right okay so the thing about places no, like ross wait, wait, wait. and tj i don't even want to hear i'm gonna take my headphones off i can't i can't even get a shirt from ross anymore Niha. come on i mean see i'm i'm not gonna like you know tell you what choices to make obviously tell the truth it's fine. um but when it comes to places like ross um Recently, I think within the past few years, they uh, garment workers in L.A. organized a strike against Ross because they didn't pay them. Um, I think I'm not sure about the exact number, but it was a significant number of their wages. Um, they didn't pay their garment workers. And um, yeah, the garment workers organized and unionized and then they protested and they finally were able to get their wages back but a lot of their workforce is undocumented in LA and um, they sort of use that as an excuse to silence them because they can't really say anything and pay the wages that they do pay Um, a lot of places like TJ Maxx also I feel like originally might have started off as surplus but now they just um, uh, from what I know, they produce more clothing and then they just sell it in there. It's not always just an excess in- inventory. Really? Oh, so these places now make their own clothes or they have always make their own clothes? Um, I'm not sure about the history, but they they do make their own clothes now. Okay. Yeah. Would you rock a Ross sweatshirt if it said Ross across it? <laughs> <laughs> but, what about, but what about that mod? Like from what... Um, I guess we we thought of it was that model of like, you know, taking clothes that weren't going to be uh, sold. And then mm-hmm. like the intent of that is still obviously the, the point on the wages is valid. But mm-hmm. if there is a system like that, that's what thrift stores are basically, right? I would say, yeah, there there is a amount of surplus um, clothing that goes into thrift stores and secondhand clothing. I think it's like a combination of both. 
Um, so yeah, for me, the thrift store model just makes a lot more sense because it also promotes circularity, um, which means, you know, you're using something again and again, um, and you're using it in a, again without actually having to dismantle that product and try and recycle it. Like you're using it in its original state, which is even better. Mm. Um, so yeah, models like that, I definitely think are the way to go in the future. You know what I've always found weird is like when uh, you see uh, a bunch of like African kids with like the old Super Bowl or like the the, the team that didn't win the Super Bowl, uh, their shirts and their gear. Have you ever seen this? No, I haven't. So so like they obviously when somebody wins the championship, this is for many sports, they have the apparel ready to go. So it says Super Bowl champs and then they have Uh. the logos and all of that. So then there's like you know, I don't even know, hundreds, maybe thousands of shirts, hats, other gear that, you know, nobody can wear anymore because that team didn't win and it would be inaccurate in America to have that on. So then uh, it's not just Africa, but other countries will get that the clothing from there and then they're wearing the... Oh, like overseas, they'll have it. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Which is ultimately, I guess, a good thing because they're not throwing it out, but it's still like, it. May I have a weird feeling about that because like, you're wearing something that wasn't going to get, can't be used. Like when it comes to the logistics of it, I guess. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it's mean, that, that brings up a really important point. Because like um, something else that's just really important to understand when you are thinking about the fashion industry is how much, or not even the fashion industry, just in general, the way countries sort of, you know, play with each other. So a lot of, you know, wealthier westernized nations do um, send their waste over to all these other countries in the global south, right? And that includes the clothes that you just mentioned. Um, And so they sort of, uh, you know, send their excess clothes or unwanted clothes or donated clothes. But what this causes is a lot of... um, waste in the other countries and there you don't know how to then they're not able to manage all the waste because it's not theirs and they have trade deals with these big countries and these countries are like no we're gonna end our trade deal if you don't continue accepting this waste from us and so it's caused a huge problem it has caused a secondhand local economy in places like africa where they will you know create um or they've, they've sort of created a system out of that um, and, you know, selling it around um, Africa to different places. But it does ultimately, you know, show who has the power um, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's like if if you see it here, as soon as the team wins, the worth is like $50 for a T-shirt. But yeah. the other one has $0 in value after the team loses. Wow. Like that's crazy, right? It's such a weird concept. Um. So you said you lived half your life in India. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know how India handles the topic of sustainability when it comes to fashion particularly? Yeah, so um, I lived in India from the age of like 11 until I had to leave for college. And a lot of my family still there. My parents were still there. So I still considered myself as living there because I would go back every winter and summer in college. But my parents moved back here to Dallas with me just recently because of the pandemic and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but basically in India, um, 
I mean, you hear of a lot of garment workers being exploited in India, but that's by, you know, other uh, uh, bigger names like H&M and Zara and whatnot. But when it comes to sustainable fashion, I think a lot of us growing up in India, as well as um, people in the diaspora who've like gone to India, can definitely see that to in India, sustainable fashion is, is just fashion, you know? It's a concept. Before it was a concept, that's just the way we sort of lived, um, similarly to other places in the world, similarly to a lot of indigenous communities. So inherently, the production of garments in India is sustainable, um, you know, when it's not being produced by fast fashion brands. So, for example, uh, most consumers are aware of the process of creating clothes in India, right? Because you will buy your fabrics from weavers, um, artisans in India, and get them stitched by your local tailor. A lot of these fibers will be fibers like khadi, um, you know, jute, cotton, linen, um, silk, and things like that, which are all natural fibers. And, um, you know, your local tailor will stitch them and you're essentially supporting your local economy, buying sustainable fabrics and creating your own clothes. So this is, you know, genuinely the definition of slow and transparent fashion. And a lot of luxury designers in India and a lot of up and coming designers uh, do follow this model for the most part. Um, So for me, when it comes to fashion in India, I feel like at least now they're really trying to reclaim what we used to do, because um, in the past, with the rise of things like colonialism and the Industrial Revolution, our relationships between land and labor were cut, and we became very dissociated. And so, um, you know, post that era, we're trying to get, go back to the original ways of creating clothes um, within India. So I think it's definitely moving in a positive direction. That's really awesome to hear because even in Pakistan, right, we I grew up there and I remember hating this process as a kid. But I I appreciate it so much now where uh, my sister, mom, all my cousins, we would spend hours and hours and then days going back and forth, picking out all, all the fabrics and this and that for like weddings and all different occasions. But then from my experience of what my family does a lot of that clothing gets passed down as well. So mm-hmm. my sister might get like my grandmother's old, you know, whatever she wore at a wedding or something like that. And uh, just like that exchange between cousins and all of that. But I wasn't sure like the concept of fast fashion because we, yeah, like people do have a high regard for brands and stuff like that. But that's still relatively new compared to like our pride in our own fabric and creation of those things i'm sure there's other problems that exist when it comes to like payment and all that and and just from watching bargaining going on um (laughs) like you know how much everyone is getting a cut out of all that but ultimately i think it's a like you're saying um the kind of process of everything being natural and uh you know done on spot sounds like it's a good thing yeah like the culture of india i guess when it comes to creating clothes it's like more acceptable and like people enjoy that process like in america um i think we were getting like suits tailored and stuff and like the suits are super expensive and like the tailoring was super expensive we're like we don't even want to like do this that much and most people you know just throw away the clothes if it's too big or too small 
Well, also, it's not their clothes. Like, they didn't make it. They're just charging us that much. It's an Indian or, like, a Bengali person or whatever, Pakistani person that made it. So that's what's, like, annoying about it when it comes to, like, the value of it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but so when you, when you want to bring over, you know, your heritage and, and apply some traditions, like, is that what you mean when it comes to like some of those concepts or is it just borrowing like, uh, certain aspects of the culture when it comes to designs and all of that? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely both. So right now in, um, I think all over the world, what's being fed to us in terms of the concept of sustainability very much comes through the white gaze in terms of, you know, statements like, oh, we need to reduce our carbon footprint. We need to, you know, um, for example, just like buy a bunch of zero waste things. And like, at the end of the day, a lot of that is, um, when it comes to things like carbon offsets, like, how how is that even a real thing? Like you're just paying to justify, you know, the carbon that you're creating, which is that that just doesn't, you know, sit right with me that they're sort of profiting off of this. And a lot of the, um, I guess the green capitalism that's sort of happening around the world is like, they're just trying to make money off of this concept of sustainability and this. Oh whole yeah. Like when Apple says, everywhere. oh, we're going green with all of our, uh, yeah. products no, and stuff. no chargers no char- but i've heard that like that's not re- that's a gimmick because they're just going to make you buy the charger which is ultimately going to come in another case yeah <laughs> so it makes no sense yeah at the end of the day there it's just i mean it's still increase um what, what do you call it? it's still promoting consumption in some way or you know some form and i think it's just important to instead view sustainability from the lens of black people, of indigenous people, and people of color around the world who have lived sustainability for like millions of years. Whereas, you know, in the West, it's sort of treated like this new concept that can be fixed by technology. But when you really think about it, you have to go back to the past to really, you know, incorporate it into the into this future that we're trying to create. And a lot of it is, um, for me, I think really moving towards how we value it um, or how we look at economy. Because right now, when it comes to economies, we're sort of, we, we only really value monetary profit or productivity. And that's sort of what's considered economic growth. But I think we need to change the definition of economic growth to be, you know, are, is our planet thriving? Are these ecological systems and habitats doing well? Um, is our community um, are our communities doing well? Do people are people caring for each other and taking care of each other in our communities and socially? So I yeah. think all of that is the main shift that I that I think is important to see. Is is there um, a country? Oh, sorry, is there a country that you see that's kind of in that path or doing that? Um, I wouldn't say it's a particular country. I would say for me, indigenous people are the people to look towards the most obviously without co-opting what they're doing, for sure. Um, But they're definitely the people with the most knowledge. Um, You know, they're very tight-knit with their communities. They um, care about their land. They care about um, other people. And it's um, it's just the way they've been living and able to sustain that for years and years and years. I, I think they're the people to look at moving forward when it comes to sustainability. 
Have you ever heard somebody tell you something like, okay, well, this is a capitalist society. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And what is your response if so? Or if, if somebody were to say that to you? I mean, if somebody were to say that to me, I guess my response would mainly be like, um, there's, there's many other types of societies that don't fall within the realm of capitalism, of socialism, of communism that are thriving today. Millions of indigenous tribes around the world have their own systems and they're doing incredibly. So, you know, what you know is a very narrow, um, a very narrow amount of what's actually possible in terms of economies. For uh, people wondering, I guess, like, what is the definition of thriving? Like, is it uh, fulfilling the basic needs like food, water, shelter, or what does that possibly entail? Yeah, I think when I use the ter- terms like thriving, it is it is definitely fulfilling those basic needs, but it's also fulfilling um, the idea of self-care and just community care and healing. So it's fulfilling all of that. So it depends also then on what you value, right? Like if you want mm-hmm. to be, if we're told constantly that like, oh, look at these billionaires and look mm-hmm. at how, you know, they're succeeding and this is the goal and we value being a billionaire, then we have, you you would have to do these things basically, um, mm-hmm. kill the world around you to achieve these goals. But if like you're saying, you care about self-care, if you care about preserving your land, your people, your traditions, then according to that, then we need to be sustainable, right? Yeah, I, essentially, that's, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did say that you're an aspiring fashion designer. Um, you said you hope to launch your own regenerative size, gender, inclusive brand with, within the next few months. Okay, now you're going to have to explain this to me again. Let's start with the... <laughs> The regeneration thing, does that basically mean using old clothes to make new clothes? Yeah, so um, I really do admire a lot of designers that use, you know, surplus clothes or off off cuts of clothing to create clothes. But for me, um, I'm mainly focusing on, um, I mean, you can't do everything, right? You kind of have to choose what you want to focus on and do it well. So for me, I um, am focusing on working with people in India who are doing regenerative agriculture to create the fibers for the for the clothes. So they're regeneratively creating cotton and using that cotton um, to you know, in, in hand looms. So hand looming it and then turning that into, um, the clothing piece. But, um, it's actually, that's just the actual, um, you know, cloth part of it. The main mission of what I'm trying to do is raise awareness about indigenous communities in India, otherwise known as Adivasi communities, which, um, a lot of people around the world don't know about, but even within India, they don't know about the their lifestyles, their cultures, and their craft. So for me, I'm trying to... Um, so the brand is not centered around me at all. It's completely centered around these Adivasi communities, and with each collection, we're highlighting different communities and their culture um, so that people can learn more about them. And a lot of the funds, um, a significant percentage is actually funneled back 
into the communities that create them. So it's sort of reimagining the way we distribute wealth within a company, especially like fashion. That's really cool. I've thought about this concept a few times where it's like, okay, if I were to have a fashion line and I go to Pakistan and, you know, find some sort of uh, system that is good for the workers, makes really nice clothing, and also ultimately benefits them, but then we're able to sell it here. Is that ultimately doing what kind of these fast fashion things besides the fast part are doing where it's like using another country's resources to, you know, sell and, and uh, thrive in a different country? Or is that ultimately a better thing because other people would be doing that anyways? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So you need to also acknowledge that, you know, you are Pakistani, right? It's not like Mm -hmm. you're from some other country coming and like, you know, you're like, oh, wow, like Pakistan has all this culture and heritage and I want to like, you know, sort of profit off of it. But, you know, I don't know anything about this culture. I'm just trying to put it out there and act like I created this thing, if that makes sense. Um, For you, like you're going to Pakistan and you're trying to um, tap into your own heritage. And like you said, if you do everything in a way that's you know responsible respectful then i don't really see a problem yes because i one time i found a jacket that i was wearing and i really liked it a lot and i'm like where did this come from because sometimes we you know shamir and i will like dabble into that because we like creating uh clothes and stuff and so mm-hmm. i looked at my jacket and i was like where is this from and it said made in pakistan i was like hold up <laughs> i need to be doing this like what what uncle what uncle's making <laughs> Okay, uh, and then what about the size, gender, inclusive thing? Does that mean clothes for all sizes and genders or like one size, unisize, if that's a word, unisex clothing? Yeah, so um, what I mean by size inclusivity is, you know, having a wide range of sizes that, you know, work for a variety of people. It's definitely not one size because as we know, in life, one size doesn't fit all. Everyone's incredibly, you know, diverse and complex in the way they are. So um, it's having a wide variety of sizes. Um, but and isn't that com- already existent or no? It does exist. It's not like it's a new concept. Um, but a lot of fashion brands, like a, like a large number, are not size inclusive. Like if you look at how many sizes they have, they probably go up to 2XL maximum. Um, and so finding clothes for people who are past that, like five XL, six XL, they, they really struggle to find, um, clothing. So especially within the world of sustainable fashion, sustainable fashion specifically, like every sustainable brand I know mainly caters to, um, you know, smaller sized people. Um, it's slowly well, real quick changing, on that. Like is, but, so if you're, if there's less people, I'm trying to understand this. So bear with me. Um, mm-hmm. If there's less people who fit that size uh, margin, right, Mm -hmm. then wouldn't it be a waste to produce sizes for them? And also, um, like, you'd be losing out on money. You'd be spending more to include that size. You get me? So that's the reason a lot of, you know, fast fashion or bigger companies, like, don't really uh, put in the money or the effort. But 
you're literally not including a lot, especially in the U.S. Like, there's a huge population of people that are plus-sized in the U.S. Ah, huge population. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, a lot of people aren't included, um, even though it might seem like a smaller number to other people. Here it makes sense, I think. And the other thing, though, is you can choose to produce a less, like a smaller number. It's not like you have to produce as much as the other sizes. You just distribute your sizes based on how many you're selling. And so just so to like have the option, I think. Yeah, you need to have, yeah, at the end of the day, have the option. And that, that's the other reason people should be manufacturing in small quantities and not these large number of clothes, because you need to understand how many people are actually going to end up buying it. Yeah, but again, look, another issue, right? You, for, uh, to, to produce, I guess th- this applies to like the whole uh, drop shipping thing, maybe only uh, unless you were doing it yourself. There has to be a certain number that you order and mm-hmm. to, to even get it printed. And it's like, yeah. you have to get a lot printed. So you can't even do like that option of like, all right, let me try this out. Let me sample it. You mean the minimum order quantities that you yeah, have yeah, to yeah, do? Yeah. So the thing about that is um, a lot of sustainable brands do own their supply chains. And if they don't, um, I think going with the minimum order quantity is probably the best um, option. If not, if you own your own supply chain, if you own the places that are producing everything, obviously that's up to your discretion at the end of the day, like how much you're making. But there are trust me, enough people that will fit those size requirements because people have been asking for it for quite a long time. Yeah. And then on the on the unisex thing, was it that you want to be able to have um, for like multiple genders or m- more so like one type of clothing that fits either or any gender? Yeah. So for me, when, when I talk about this brand, I guess I'm mainly saying it's just celebrating people on the size and gender spectrums. So what I mean by that is um, traditionally clothing has been categorized into the binary man and woman genders. Um, and when you really think about it, clothing is just a piece of cloth and it doesn't really have a gender. <laughs> um, and in the past, um, you know, a, a loke V Menon is someone I learn a lot from. They are a non-binary person and um, they've talked a lot about, you know, in the past, in Europe especially, there is a lot of men that, you know, they started the whole trend of wearing makeup, wearing dresses, wearing heels, um, etc. And then in, in India and uh, South Asia, you know, there's um, definitely a lot that you see in terms of skirts, lungis, other garments that are that have been there for years and years, as well as within Hinduism, there's a lot of um, you know, uh, a, what am I trying to say? Um, there's like information when it comes to uh, androgynous gods and things like that. So um, when you look to these other cultures, you realize that gender isn't really a binary, and that that's a construct that we've been fed by um, the Western world. And so for me, I'm just trying to celebrate genders. Um, A lot of the silhouettes are feminine or masculine. It's not like I'm trying to create a clothing silhouette that's just like a big frumpy t-shirt that sort of fits everyone. It's just not labeling the clothing and allowing people to freely choose um, what they want to wear. Well, I guess when it comes to 
tailoring something, then it makes sense where you're, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're getting a suit fitted to you, right, that has to be a certain fitting to to you. But uh, what you're saying is that, um, yeah, it's it's funny because what you're calling a lungi, we'll call like a dhoti. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you put that on, it's fine. But uh, if you put the shiny mirrors on it, now it's a sari and (laughs) now it's no longer for a man. I never thought about it like that way but that was interesting um yeah uh it's 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 all uh i guess it's when we make things a really big deal the way that we um look at it and because things have been fed us fed to us a certain way um then you you break down some of those barriers and look at it in like the sustainability lens especially um, even for us, when we're doing our merch and stuff, it helps us out that like we can just put unisex everything because mm-hmm. having multiple sizes, it's a waste. And then also it's like more options and it's annoying. But overall, like, yeah, the the more you give other people the ability to just choose um, and, uh, you know, make that option available for them, then it's it's easier on everybody's part. And it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say um what your uh beliefs are or something like that which i think people are usually scared of when it comes to mm-hmm. a lot of these things that's why i even asked this question in this way about like the genders and whatever because it's it's hard to navigate that these days but you're really just making um things that would fit a lot of people and like when you're doing the silhouettes you're saying that it's meant to uh i guess apply to the the male and fe- uh, what would you what did you say i'm sorry i don't want to so butcher. for example like I'll, there's like i have some crop tops or like a skirt or like a pant or like a hoodie but i'm not assigning a gender to them because anyone regardless of their gender can wear a crop top or pants if they okay. choose to and if yeah. they want to if so, that makes sense so like if you go to like you know any american I'll just say American Eagle or something. There's like a guys, girls section. Like, yeah. What's what would be on yours? Just all the clothes there. Just all the clothes. Eliminating okay. the sections is what okay. it really means to degender fashion. Cool. Well, yeah. um, Niha, what's kind of like your? Uh, what are you currently involved in right now? You said that this is something that you've been working on, but I know that you have mm-hmm. like a side gig you do, and um, you know, what's what are the next like five, ten years looking for? What you hope? Yeah, um, I guess within the next five, ten years, I hope uh, this space just has room for a lot more um, diverse voices, and I hope to continue to be one of them. I think I also really want to, you know, make this brand as successful as I can um, and essentially just raise awareness about the different indigenous communities in India and essentially around the rest of the world. through my brand so that's that's my main focus for the next five to ten years um on the side because i I do i have a normal you know day job but this is all what i'm trying to do as much as i can when i have time yeah could you tell people if you're comfortable with that like uh, about um you know what you do uh aside from this because i think it's cool that you're basically funding your passion through Mm -hmm. what you do on the side and it'd be interesting for people that want to get into something like this yeah. Um, so, you know, I work at a corporation, <laughs> which is, you know, um, it, it might sound like interesting to people like, oh, wow, 
like you're into sustainability, but um, I think it's important to, you know, wherever you are, try your best to make that place better. And it's important for us to be in places like this so that we can actually create change. Um, so my nine to five is at um, IBM. <laughs> and I, yeah, I do technical work there. I actually um, studied biomedical engineering in college, so I didn't study fashion or anything. She's I, smart, smart. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not applying it at my job, clearly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I imagine uh, you just going around the workplace, like putting recycle bins everywhere, collecting <laughs> people's bottles. Like I did, I did start a sustainability group at, at work. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, Tom, where's your shirt from? <laughs> All the corporate things that are, like, coming in. The, I don't know if you guys wear, like, uniforms or anything, but that'd be funny if it was... Yeah, this has to be sustainable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, well, luckily we don't. Um, okay, cool. And yeah, I mean, I ha- I haven't forwardly asked anybody where their shirt is from, but <laughs> <laughs> Niha, you've been absolutely incredible and patient with us, and uh, you know, just uh, gave us so much information, and we appreciate you for that, and we can't wait to see what you uh, do with with your brand and everything. That'll be really exciting to look out for. So thank you for all of that. Where can people uh, find you and and you know, look forward to all of this uh, new work that you'll be coming out with. Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Niha Ileti, so N-I-H-A-E-L-E-T-Y. Um, that's my primary platform. Hoping to diversify my social media soon, but I don't know if I have time for that. <laughs> awesome. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, we'll include that in the uh, bio. And mm-hmm. uh, last thing is you are on the show Strange Flavors, so we have to ask you an extremely important question at the end of it. So, Shamir, you want to take that away? You could describe yourself in any flavor. What would it be and why? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I know this sounds like a very L.A. like celebrity answer, oh but I would say like matcha. <laughs> okay. Why? This is the, it doesn't matter what your flavor is. It, it matters why you choose it, why it describes you. Tell us. Yeah. Um, well, it's green and it reminds me of like the natural world. Okay. Um, it has a very earthy taste, which also reminds me of the world. So I think it just kind of, yeah, it just kind of represents my love and passion for for sustainability and the earth. So. Wow. Amazing. We love it. <laughs> she is matcha. She is incredible. That is Niha, everybody. Niha, thank you again for coming on Strange Flavors. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. We'll talk to you next time.